so excited to be starting our new sermon series on the life of Joseph. Um, when it all goes wrong. I don't know if you've ever um, thought in your life, wow, everything is going wrong. Just one thing after another. Sometimes we have days like that, right? Some, maybe you don't. Maybe you haven't had those yet. Well, congratulations. But uh, be ready, <laughs> you know, because there's going to be those days, there's going to be a periods in our lives where it just seems like everything goes wrong. And that's kind of the story here as we enter into the life of Joseph. And there's so much to learn. I mean, this story of Joseph is incredible. I mean, it's one of the, the, the great dramas of the Bible. It's a drama that uh, we get wrapped up in and we, we say, wow, this is, this is something that speaks to us today. Even though, actually, Joseph probably lived somewhere around 18, 1900 B.C., before Christ. So it's, it's an ancient story, but yet it's a powerful story. It's a true story, and it speaks to us. But if we're going to talk about this story, it also helps to know a little bit about this person, Joseph. Actually, uh, more than a quarter of Genesis is devoted to his story. But it goes back even further than that. It goes back to his family roots. Joseph's grandfather, great-grandfather, was Abraham. You might remember Abraham, chapter 12 of Genesis. God called Abraham out of his home and said, Abraham, I'm calling you to go. And he sent him and sent him to the land of Canaan. And in there, made a covenant a, a covenant, a promise to him of three things, basically. Uh, the covenant of um, land. He said, this land will be yours. A covenant of a people or descendants, even though Abraham had no children. He said, you're going to be a great nation, and they're, you're going to be, they're going to be descendants that come after you. And, of course, they needed to take care of that by having the first child, which they did. And then he said, there's also going to be a, a covenant of a, of a blessing, of redemption, that not only will I bless you, but you will be a blessing to all nations. And we see here that God has put into place, we see for the first time, really his, his way of redeeming, of restoring the relationship between man that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And so we see, we know Abraham, the great-grandfather. Abraham did have a child, and his name was Isaac, one of his boys. And Isaac then was the grandfather of Joseph. Isaac had a couple sons, twins, but you know one would be Jacob. Jacob was a son who was a little bit crafty, a little bit deceitful. And we read through the stories, if you get a chance to read through Genesis and see a little bit of his life. But one of the things that uh, came back to um, haunt Jacob a little bit was the, the craftiness or the deceitfulness of his life was turned on him. And he ended up thinking he was going to marry a woman named Rachel. And unfortunately for him, he was tricked. And it was her sister Leah that was that was there that night, and he married unbeknownst to him. And so he ended up with two wives, Rachel and, and Leah, and Rachel gave him a son, and that son was Joseph. And so you see the lineage there of Joseph, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, the patriarchs of the faith, and then to Joseph. But Joseph wasn't the only son 
of Jacob. In fact, Jacob had 12 sons, and their names are up here on the screen in case you forgot them. They are Reuben, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad. Gad, that's kind of a strange name. Anybody named Gad here today? Asher, that's kind of strange. Anybody anybody name their kid Asher? Oh, Pastor Eric. (laughs) Ah, yes. Yeah, I love Asher. Zebulun, Issachar, Joseph, the second youngest, and then Benjamin. So those are the, those are the 12 brothers that we're going to be talking about over these next six weeks as we look at this story. But the main character is Joseph. We kind of first meet Joseph in chapter 30 of, of Genesis when it says that he was born. Rachel, the wife that Jacob loved more than the other, gave birth. Rachel had not been able to give birth. In fact, Leah had turned out child after child after child, and their, their servants, both Leah and, and Rachel, had turned out child for, for Jacob. But finally, finally the Lord opened up her womb, and Joseph came, and Joseph was born to her. And so we pick up the story of Joseph then a few chapters later, after he's born in chapter 30, and verse 37, chapter 37 really starts the story, and it starts like this in verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brothers. We learn a couple things from this story. We're not going to read through this whole story. It'll, it'll take a while, but we're going to kind of talk through it as we speak this morning. And this tells us a few things. One, he was young. He was 17 years old. And maybe you remember what it was like to be 17. Some of you looking forward to that time. But he was, he was a young man, so not fully grown up, not fully mature yet, but significantly a few years behind. And it also tells, him, tells us that this family was shepherds. They were out tending the flocks. Uh, the rest of that verse goes on and says, though, that as Joseph was out there tending the flocks with his brothers, he went back to daddy, to Jacob, with a bad report about them. Now, no one likes a tattletale, do you? (laughs) Nobody likes a tattletale. We don't know what the bad report was. It probably was something that his father wanted to hear. He might have said, hey, hey, can you, can you let me know? Are, are, these, are they behaving themselves out there? Are they taking care of my property? Are they treating other folks with respect and stuff? Whatever it was, Joseph came back and it said that he gave a bad report. So you can imagine the brothers weren't real thrilled with their brother Joseph. Verse 3 gives us a little more of the background of this drama. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. Yeah. Kind of points to some problems, doesn't it? Because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. Now, he was born to Jacob in his old age because he'd been waiting for child after child after child. But this also could mean that Joseph was taking care of him in his old age. And very likely it seems like there was something special about Joseph that he was, he was, he was loved by his father and maybe yeah, the word pampered maybe. You might come to your mind. It seems like Joseph maybe was a little bit pampered here. And, and so he, he said he loved him and cared for him and he was born to the wife that he loved. Passing on family dysfunction. I mean, this had kind of started even before this. Jacob's father, Isaac, had, had a son that he liked or loved, the Bible says. His name was Esau. And the Bible says that his wife, Rebekah, loved Jacob. 
So you can see a family rivalry starting even among the parents. And now it's passed down, and we're told that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. So that even his wives, the, his love for his wives was on a different level, and you can see the family dysfunction boiling up. And then you got a son, the one who's loved, really liked a lot, tattletailing on you. Not good. Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. Then it says, then he made an ornate robe. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school like I did for many years, you always heard Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? We always heard that story. In fact, the musical that was out there, Joseph in the amazing Technicolor dream coat with uh, all, all of our favorites, Donny Osmond starring in there, that, uh, that did, did that musical. And so we, we have this mind in our, a picture in our mind of this, of this striped coat with many colors. It doesn't necessarily mean that, though. It's, it says in the New International Version, ornate. It could also mean just, just fancy or, or long-sleeved robe. It was something that established him with authority, with favor. It would be the type of coat that a, a royalty, somebody in charge would wear to show respect. And he had these special garments. And so you can understand the brother's standpoint here. Not only is he, is he loved by the father, not only is he tattletaling on us, but dad's giving him some special clothes. And he's placing him in a position that appears to be elevated. And for the 11th born out of 12 brothers, that really isn't the way it should be. And you can imagine you had 10 brothers who were older that were not real fond of what was going on here. In fact, verse 4 says this. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. I remember growing up and watching TV. There was a comedy team named the Smothers Brothers. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the Smothers Brothers. You've got to be pretty old to remember Dick and Tommy. But their act kind of was uh, uh, Dick Smothers would, he was a straight man, and he would kind of berate his brother. And he said, you're stupid, and you know, all those things, you know, just trying to beat him down. And Tommy would just get frustrated to the point that the only thing he could blurt out was, oh, yeah, well, Mom always loved you more than me. <laughs> Mom always loved you more than me. And that's kind of the way that these brothers must have felt. They're, they're just uh, frustrated. They don't know what else. Oh, Dad loves you more than us. But sibling rivalry. You know what it is with a sibling rivalry when you have this love-hate relationship with a brother or sister, you know? You love them, but there are moments where you want to strangle them and, you know, things like that. But this, wasn't, this goes beyond that. This is really a hate-hate relationship. It says they couldn't find, they couldn't say anything good to him. Nothing kind. They hated Joseph, a toxic, dysfunctional family created by father and as we see, flamed a little bit by son in verse seven. Joseph had had, some, had a dream. And after he had the dream, instead of keeping quiet, verse seven says this, he went to his brothers and he said, this is it, this is my dream. We were binding sheaves of grain out on the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. How would you feel 
if you were one of those older brothers. It's been said that tact was not one of Joseph's spiritual gifts. <laughs> he's, he's just coming, hey guys, let me tell you what I dreamed last night. You're not going to believe this. We're out doing grain and my sheep stands up and all yours gets down and just bows to it. What do you think that means? <laughs> Doesn't take a genius to try to figure that one out, does it? Sometimes, yeah, I have dreams and I wake up and I go, whoa, what did that mean? You know, they're just bizarre. But this one, this one, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And for Joseph, what's, once wasn't enough. <laughs> he comes back in verse 9. He says, hey, guys, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And it says he not only told his brothers, but he told his dad. And Jacob, also known as Israel, when, when God changed his name, when he wrestled with God, said to him, what? Me and your mom and your brothers are all going to bow down to you? I mean, it wasn't lost on him what this meant. Everybody knew what Joseph was saying. Verse 11 tells us that his brothers were jealous. I can imagine. But it also says that their dad, Jacob or Israel, kept the matter in mind. Dad starts thinking about it. You know, you might remember the story of the angel coming to Mary when she was told that she would give birth to the Messiah. The scripture says that Mary heard all of it and then she pondered it in her heart. And I, I see Jacob as that same pondering, that same, wow, what does this mean? Is there something here that's it's true. Is there something here that's from God? I'm going to keep my eye on this boy. I'm going to watch what happens. We could be in for something really great here. I don't know. What's going to happen with Joseph? But then, at that point, because of some of the anger and rage and hatred of the brothers, events start to turn out of control it would change this family forever. The story goes on that these shepherds had to go and take their flock for some, for some good land. And it says in the scriptures that, they, that Jacob sent his brothers, his sons, up to Shechem. So they went up to Shechem to graze. Now, it could have been weather-related. It could have been that maybe things had dried up in their area, and he says, go up to where there's some more grass and stuff. But as they, as they get up there, they're, they're having their, their cattle or their, their, all their oxen there, and they're, they're feeding them, and father starts to worry. I wonder what's going on. So he says to Joseph, tell you what, why don't you go? I don't know why Joseph didn't go originally, but if he was the pampered son, that might tell you why he didn't go. And he says, I want you to go and check on him. Maybe he's also looking for a report. Can you give me a good report or can you give me a bad report? But he sends him to Shechem, which is, he might be questioning the safety of his boys because if you read back three chapters before this, actually Jacob, in traveling, had stopped at Shechem and bought land at Shechem and set up his family there for a while. But while they were at Shechem, his daughter, the sister of these boys, Dinah, was raped by one of the men of Shechem. And if you read the scripture there, you read a story that's pretty amazing. The 
two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, hatched a plan. And that plan got them in a position where they were able to slaughter all the men of Shechem. All of them. They were so angry, so revengeful, they slaughtered the men of Shechem. Took all the goods, took everything worthwhile, took everything valuable, including the women, and they left, and they left. So you can imagine, does it make a lot of sense that, that this, these boys weren't real welcome in the area? <laughs> this, this family of Jacob was known as, as those who had, had killed them the, the, and destroyed the, the, the people living there in Shechem. And so it might not be a real surprise that they moved on. Joseph arrives in Shechem, looking around for the guys, say, where are they? Finally, someone says, oh, no, they moved on to Dothan, which is about 15 miles on north of that. He said, I heard him say that. So Joseph heads there. And the scripture tells us that if Joseph was in the distance, approaching the brothers, they saw him. Now, how did they, how did they know it was Joseph? The coat. <laughs> Can you say, hey, I've seen that coat before. <laughs> I know that coat. There's only one person who has a coat like that. And it says they hatched a plan. They said, let's kill him. Let's get rid of him once for all. In fact, let's, let's kill him and let's just throw him here in this cistern. And then they say something. They says, and then let's see what becomes of his dreams. Let's see what becomes of his dreams. In fact, they called him as he was coming. There's that dreamer. What becomes of your dreams? Well, Reuben, the oldest, intervened. And he says, uh, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in the cistern. Let's put him there and, and, then, and then he'll just die there. But what Reuben was really thinking, Scripture says, is later I'll go out and I'll get him out. We'll save him, take him back to dad, and I won't, we won't have his blood on our hands. So Reuben does that. But so they, they get Joseph and they throw him in the cistern, which is a pit. There's no water in it at this time of year. He's all alone. And then you know what the Bible says they did next? They went to lunch. <laughs> they went to lunch. They went to lunch with Joseph in a pit, in a cistern. Can you imagine what is going through Joseph's mind at this point? The dreams that he had were being crushed. He was being treated by those who he loved and trusted wrongfully. They wanted him actually dead. He was rejected. He was fearful. We know that because 20 years later, this event was still on the hearts and the minds of the brothers. You don't, you, don't, you don't forget something like this. 20 years later, when they were in trouble, and they were wondering why they were in trouble, in Genesis 42, 21, we'll come to this in a few weeks, it says this, we saw how distressed he, Joseph, was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. 
I was thinking about that scripture as we were singing this song this morning, that last one, Rescue. I called, you answered, and you came to my rescue. Joseph here, though, would write today, I called, I pleaded, I cry out, and nobody answered. Nobody answered. Sometimes that's the way it feels like when we're in the pits of life. Sometimes that feels like when we're in the darkness of situations that seem out of our control. Sometimes that feels like the way it is when we're looking around and all we see are walls around us. No options. No hope. I cry. I plead. No one listens. So Joseph experienced, I think, what we all experience from time to time. It's when our dreams become nightmares. What happens when our dreams are crushed? Sometimes our dreams are crushed through circumstances. Illnesses. Poor financial or business decisions. Bad timing. Bad luck. You know, wrong time, wrong place. We call that fate sometimes. It just seems like sometimes things just happen to us. But sometimes we're like Joseph, and it's something, it's not just circumstances, it's not fate, but it's somebody or people that we trusted. Someone is out to crush our dreams. It's the thoughtlessness of others, the resentment, the hatred, the scheming of our enemies. They're actually bent on injuring or demoralizing us. They want revenge. And should it surprise us that 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 is life? Because when we're living out our dreams, and especially, listen to this, especially if it's God's dream for us, there is somebody out there trying to stop and attack that dream. John 10.10, Jesus says that Satan is a thief. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy Everything that's good. And he wants to steal our dreams. And he wants to steal our hopes. And he wants to steal them and he wants to, he wants to destroy them. He wants us to feel like we're in the pit. Just like Joseph was in that pit. That's where Joseph found himself today. And sometimes some of us find ourselves with our dreams destroyed. And we're kind of like Joseph. I can, I can imagine what Joseph might be thinking. There's things going through Joseph's mind. At least it would be going through my mind. First of all, whose dream was that? Was that my dream or was that God's dream? Because it seems like the dream's gone. And so I, I kind of reassess. Is this your dream, God, for us? Or is that your dream for me? Or was, that, was, was, was it just something I ate? <laughs> was it your dream or was it my dream? Then I'm kind of like, okay, well, what went wrong? What is it that that I need to, what what was it in the execution that went wrong? And what can I change? And I can imagine Joseph thinking, "Mm, maybe I should have kept my mouth shut a few times. (laughs) Maybe I should have left that coat hanging up in the closet a little, a few times, you know? And maybe I should have just left it there. But then it comes down to then, okay, what now? How do I recover from this? What is the recovery when it's out of my hands? Sometimes our dreams, our dreams are at least temporarily destroyed, put on hold. I was reading this week from a 
an author called Jenny Allen. She writes for women's studies and, and does a lot in, in that area. And I think I'm allowed to read books written for women. Um, I, I did. I, f- I found a very helpful, very interesting book called Anything. And she says this, from his, that's God's eternal perspective, it's tolerable to allow our temporary dreams to fall apart. From God's eternal perspective, when he sees it all, it's tolerable to allow our temporary dreams to fall apart. Where we might stop and say, wait, is this my dream, God, or is this your dream? Or, or is, there a, is, there a, uh, is there a bigger picture here that I do not see? And there seems now to be a bigger picture for Joseph. Because here he is, set to die in this pit. Dream gone forever. When verse 25 changes everything. It says this. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming to Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and pure, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. They were traders. Their, their, their camels were loaded. They were headed to Egypt, and the brothers got an idea. And the idea is in verse 28. It says, so when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him. For 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Ha, ha, we can get rid of Joseph. We don't have any blood on our hands. And we could even make some money on the way. And they sell him. And Joseph becomes a victim of human trafficking. So what's this all mean? Where do we wrap this up today? This is just the beginning of the story. Where's God. Where's God in this story? Nowhere does it say that God said this or God did this. Where is God? And I got to imagine if I'm Joseph, I'm asking, where is God? Well, this question is answered a couple of times in the rest of the story. But in that book of Acts, when, when Stephen is preaching his last sermon before he's being stoned, he asks this question. He's talking to the people about what they, their sin and how they've, how they've um, behaved. And he talk, starts talking about the history of Israel. And he says this in Acts chapter 7, verse 9. He says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him. But God was with him. He never heard from God. There's nowhere in the story where God said, hey, Joseph, everything's going to be all right. God didn't sit down and magically lift Joseph out of the well, set him on solid ground and let him walk by his brothers. Hi, guys. (laughs) That didn't happen. So many times we want the sitcom version of life where everything's wrapped up in 30 minutes. Yes, we got a problem, but God answers and God provides and everything's good. Sometimes it's more like a soap opera. Life goes on and on and on and on. Sometimes, and get this, sometimes the victory is in surviving to fight another day. God provided for Joseph to survive. We don't see victory, really, in this chapter. We're going to leave Joseph today heading on his way to Egypt, the victim of human trafficking. And I'm not going to tell you today that all your problems are going to be solved when you walk out these doors. This next week could be a very, very tough week. You might be in the middle, you might be in the middle of a deep, deep pit right now. And you say, I don't see God, I don't hear God. But just like Joseph, God is with you. God is with you.
Moses when he was talking to to, to Joshua, and then later even jo- God talking to Joshua tells him to be strong and courageous. I will never leave you or forsake you. I said, I've sometimes wondered, was that promise just for Joshua? Does that promise for me? Well, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 5, is telling us, hey, guess what? That promise is for you. Remember when God said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't be, don't be afraid of what people can do to you. I will be with you, and you may not see. Today, there's a lot going on here that we're not aware of. Do you realize you're on a planet that's spinning like crazy, flying through space, and there's this force called gravity exerting powerful forces on our body, and and we aren't even aware of it. Do you realize there's all kind of sound waves and different frequencies and, and cell phone waves and all that kind of stuff coming through here, and you don't see any of it? Do you realize there's spectrums in the color spectrum, colors in the color spectrum that we don't even see? I want, I, I've been thinking this week, what is it, what is it like? Can, how can I imagine a color that I can't see? <laughs> but we don't see it. So can we believe that God is working even though we don't see it? Can we believe that God is at work? Can we believe what Jesus said when he talked to Thomas after his resurrection? And he says, you know what? You Believe because you see. Blessed are those who don't see and yet still believe. When you're in the pit and you can't see, when you say, I called, and like Joseph, you said, no one heard me, can you believe that God is with you and God hears you? This story that we are going to go through these next six weeks, we're going to see God at work. We're going to see God performing amazing feats, And yet, we really don't know that it's God unless you know behind the story. What's behind your story? Sometimes the victory is surviving for another day. Sometimes the victory, get this, is in being humbled. You know, we don't, interestingly enough, we don't see anywhere in the story of Joseph anywhere that he sinned. One of the few stories in the scriptures that we don't see a man that sinned. It does seem like he has a little bit of pride issue though, maybe. Be humbled. And sometimes the victory is to reflect and learn from what we've been through. To grow up. Again, from her book, Anything, Jenny Allen had this to say. He says, honestly, we grow up through suffering and most of us need to grow up. <laughs> oh, that statement's easier to read than it is to process, I think. We grow up through suffering, and most of us need to grow up. Joseph had some growing up to do, and God is working on him. But he didn't forsake him, and he provided that he could survive for another day. Satan's going to come at you. He's going to come at you tomorrow. He's going to come at you the day after. He's going to come at you the day after that. And we need to survive to fight another day. The battle's real. If God has given you a dream, if God has given you a challenge, a, 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 a calling, Satan's going to come after. He's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy that. And when you don't see the victories... When you don't see the miracles, when you aren't going, woohoo, look what God did, 
you can say, I survived. I survived. God provided. He was with me. What's he going to do next? What's he going to do next? Suffering. James, the brother of Jesus, in closing said this. James, the servant of God and to the Lord Jesus and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered around the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it joy when you face the trials. We need to grow up sometimes. And we grow up best or we grow up well through suffering. That's not quite the end of the story of chapter 37. Um, Unfortunately, the brothers have to tell dad what happened. Right? They go home and they make up the story. They they send the robe and they said, oh, look what we found. They got some blood and put on it. Said, isn't this your son Joseph's cloak? And Jacob's distraught. He mourns. He wails. He lost his son. The last verse of 37 says this, meanwhile the Midianites sold Joseph to Egypt in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. God is with Joseph. God's working. Once again, the end of the verse, the end of the chapter, the victim of another human trafficking transaction. But God is working. God is with him. And next week, we pick up Joseph in Egypt. And we'll spend the next five weeks in Egypt with this young man, 17 years old, sold into slavery, not hearing from God, not knowing what his future is. But God was with him, and he's with you. Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with us, whatever you're going through. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we are um, struck at this story. We see the same things infecting this society 2,000 years before Christ as we see in our society, the the tragedy of people and brothers and sisters acting shamefully and destructively to each other. And Lord, we also know the feeling of the pit that Joseph was in. And yet you are a God who is with us moment by moment, step by step, wherever we go. Thank you, Lord, because sometimes we could not survive if we didn't know that. 
We couldn't survive if we didn't believe that you were with us, directing us, leading us, support, lifting us up. So Father, help us some this week. Help us to survive this week, Lord, the, the difficulties of it. Lord, help us to see you. And even if we don't, that our faith would be strong. Help us to hear what you're saying. But Lord, even if you're not speaking this week, help us to have faith to make it through, to trust in you, to follow hard after you, to remember all the good things that you've done, how you've lifted us in the past. Lord, go with us. Make us into you, your people, holy, devoted, committed, joyously going through our sufferings and our trials. We thank you, Lord, for your power, your strength through these situations. We thank you for the future you have for us, and we give you praise in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. See you tonight. Pie with the pastors. See you next week in Egypt with Potiphar and Joseph. We'll see you.